a series now called the Do Nots. And uh, if you were not here uh, last week and you missed it because uh, it was the Super Bowl and it was snowing, I forgive you. I'm not judging you because that's going to be important for later on, but I will catch you up. So you know what we're talking about. Last week, we were in uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we were talking about how Jesus instructed us not to worry and how that is counterintuitive. And we struggle with the difference between wisdom and worry and when is it wisdom and when is it worry and when is it I'm being wise and making a good choice and a good decision and I'm thinking through everything and when has it degenerated into worry. And we talked about how worry was a battle for your focus, for your heart, for your attention and that the answer to worry was worship and where you align your heart and where you align your focus. And so now you have the, the cliff notes and there's like 52 more minutes. If you go online, you can check it out and, uh, <laughs> and catch, up, catch up with us. But we talked about that and we talked about Jehoshaphat and uh, when he was in a position where it looked like there was no hope, his first reaction was to call all the people together and he called them together to fast and to pray and then to hear from the prophetic word of the Lord and then to go and to worship. And uh, here's why I I'm recapping quite so much, is I was really blessed this week. I had a conversation with somebody, I think it was Wednesday, and, uh, and she was saying, you don't know this, Pastor Mike, but that message last week, I had not been in a more worried position in years. I had just gotten a, a big phone call about a work-related thing that maybe we had messed up and a lot of families could have been affected and uh, had to do with the school district and there was all this stuff. And, 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 and she was saying, I was so worried and then there was no school on Monday so I couldn't do anything. And so my first reaction was, I'm gonna book a massage because I need to just relax and get there. And then she goes, then I remembered the message and I remembered how you talked about in the middle of our stress and our worry, our natural instinct is to do anything we can to relieve the stress and worry instead of finding a way to maybe deny our flesh and move into a place where we can hear from the Lord. And so if you didn't catch all of it, you're like, well, that's a shot. Don't worry, I, I padded it a little bit easier last week. But, uh, but she did it, which was amazing. And she ended up fasting and praying. And then Tuesday was a snow day and she couldn't get the answer. She was still stressed out. And at the end of all of that, here's what was amazing is God showed up, did a miracle, resolved the conflict and she was fine and everything was okay. And she was like, you don't understand. I didn't have a way to get to a place of peace because I didn't have the skill set. And then I remembered, come on now, the message about how to handle my worry and it recalibrated me and I went to a place of worship and even though it took longer than I wanted to get the answer I was okay and I was like that's what we do church we get into the word of God and we get it into our DNA and then we live it when we get outside of these walls and if all that happens is you go well that was a pretty good message and I got a little smarter then we messed up and we missed it but if it turns into something that actually becomes the actions of our lives and can actually help us to change our lives and behaviors, then we become living testimonies of Jesus. Come on now. And she's telling her story and people are hearing about Jesus. How cool is that? So I tell you that because I'm excited about that, but also to walk you into the series about the do nots. Because there are some things that the gospel tells us, hey, don't do this. And Jesus is clear that there are a few things where he's like, hey, 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 knock it off. That's not the thing. You think that's the thing that might feel natural in the moment, but that's not the thing. And last week we talked about worry. And this week we're gonna walk into one that I really, really struggle with. And I really think we all struggle with. And it's not fun always to talk about, but it's this idea of, hey, don't judge. Don't judge. And I love this tattoo. I love that one of the most popular tattoos in the world right now is this tattoo. If you Google only God can judge me tattoos, there are thousands and thousands and thousands. People are flocking and getting this tattoo. And here's the thing I know about this scripture. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter seven. You know some people who don't go to church, aren't interested in going to church, don't want a relationship with Jesus, don't wanna hear what you have to say, and they only know a couple of scriptures. And this is one they got down. And they know this scripture because they use it the moment that you engage in almost any meaningful conversation with them. Hey, don't judge me. Only God can judge me, right? Don't judge or you'll be judged. Or, you know, they like to say it in the King James Version, judge not ye lest ye desireth to be judgeth. No, that's not quite the King James, but somewhere in there, right? You gotta say it with about that much volume and attitude. Hey, judge not lest ye be judged. You gotta, you gotta get a little growl in there, right? And so we feel this tension because this scripture 
is used by people who don't follow Jesus all the time against people who do follow Jesus. And it's like a shield saying, you don't get to talk about me or be in my life. I have this robe of judge not lest ye be judged armor on, right? And it's hilarious and frustrating and maddening all at the same time. And here's the reality, guys. We've all been judged. And none of us enjoy the feeling of being judged. You've been judged. You've experienced that someone has sized you up and judged you, and you've gone like, oh, I hate that. What's funny is I was trying to think about different times that I'd been judged. And I was like, all right, what's the best story I have about a time I've been judged? And here's the thing. I had like a stack of them to work off of, right? And some of you know this feeling. I was like, ooh, that's really, really good. Oh, no, no, that one was, oh. And eventually, I was like going through all the emotions of remembering all the times that these individuals had judged me. And I was like, this is now unhealthy. I'm just taking one off the top, right? It got unhealthy. I had to stop. So, so this is the one I landed on, but it's a, it's a hilarious story. We, we had planted the church down in Oregon, and we were in the very first series that we had preached and, and done. And it was the, I think, the second Sunday in, since we launched the church that I was preaching. And we we're doing a series, and and the week that I had was, uh, the message was called something like friendship with Jesus or something like that. But the point of the message was this idea that in the scriptures, and you know, it's a free one, I'm mean, gonna preach it some other time, but there, there, this, uh, this idea that in the scriptures, if you look at the people who hung out with Jesus, most of the time, they didn't have a lifestyle that was similar to Jesus, yet he enjoyed hanging out with them. But if you look at the people in the scripture who did have a lifestyle that you would think looks like Jesus, they didn't like hanging out with Jesus at all. And, and the kind of the takeaway was this idea that, that people who were nothing like Jesus seemed really attracted to the Jesus of the Bible. But the people whose lives looked like what you think Jesus would look like seemed to not ever want to be around. There was always conflict. And I, I was living in that tension and preaching a message there. So the idea was, what does it look like to be relationally close with Jesus? Some of you are like, ooh, I want to hear that message. Okay, one these days, maybe we'll go there. But here's the thing. You know, it's our first series. We got this band. The guys are, everyone's still getting to know each other. It's awesome. We got this young guy leading worship. He's amazing. And, and he comes up to me a couple weeks before, and he goes, hey, I'm looking at the series. I'm looking at his friendship with Jesus. I had this creative idea. What do you think? And I said, well, I don't know. What is it? He goes, can we, in the pre-service, like just so people are coming in the building, right? And, uh, and walking, remember we're in an elementary school. He goes, can the band play the Friends theme song as like pre-service music? And I was like, well, that's funny, but I don't know the Friends theme song. Like I know the melody, but what's the words? Is the words appropriate? He goes, he goes we won't sing the words. Don't worry about the words. We'll just play the. And he's like, can we just play that as people are walking around? Because it'll. There it is, <laughs> right? And then it's, you know, my love lies to you away. Clap, 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 clap. That's all I know. And so, and so, and so anyways, I, I kind of laughed and I was like, so before the service, when everyone's right, I'm like, that's a brilliant, have fun with it. Go ahead, right? And uh, so he's like, cool. So, so that morning happens and we play the Friends theme song and, you know, before service or whatever. And then we go through the whole service message, everything happens. After service, there's a guy waiting for me in the hallway, right? There wasn't like a other area. And, uh, and he's an older guy. He's not old, but he's older than me. And, uh, and I could just see like the, the forehead vein is pulsing. And there's like a bead of sweat that's running along the forehead vein, you know? I can see he's not happy. I'm like, that's interesting. You know, we've only been up for a few weeks. Let's see what this is. And so, so I walk over to him. I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he goes, he goes mm, you can see like the, the just, mm, he's ready to throw up. And then he catches himself and he goes, first, that was a really good message. <laughs> Now I know I'm in trouble, right? Because he's, he's complimenting me to set me up for something. I'm like, okay. And he goes, but I cannot believe, like, I mean, there's a depth in him that you allowed a song with that show in it to be played on a Sunday at the church. And I was like, okay. And, he, and then his next comment, do you have any idea the content of that show? And there's like a moment, right? So I stepped back for a second because I was showing, I'm not expecting this conversation at all. I'm just walking in cold and, you know, my default mode is humor. So I'm like, okay, how do we deflect this? And then here was my, I stopped and I was like, wait a second. Before we go any further, let's agree to one thing. You are fully aware of the content of that show. So let's dial this whole moment back and try this again from the beginning because you're not gonna walk in on this judgmentally challenged level. Like we can have a conversation, but we're not gonna start here. So we lost our first family from the church and our whole history of the church over that. 
<laughs> and you know what? I said, I said, hey, let's just agree that we both love Jesus and have different values on what is and isn't okay. And we're just gonna, we're gonna creatively tell stories that bring people in a relationship with Jesus. And so if that hurts your feelings, it's just gonna get way harder from here. Um, <laughs> and so, so we lost our first family over that. But I remember just this feeling, the weight of, oh my goodness, the judgment and the And you've all experienced it. Someone judged you, someone looked at your life and I can't believe you spent money on that, did this, whatever it was, right? Just judged you, judged you, judged you. And so we don't want that. And, and so we're nervous because we don't want to be ambassadors of that. We don't want that for ourselves. And we also don't want to be ambassadors of that. And then here's this, you know, twisted phraseology of only God can judge me. And we interact with people and they throw out this shield. Don't judge me lest you be judged. And you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to be judged and I don't want to judge you. And then it, it paralyzes us. And we don't know how to interact once this phrase gets thrown at us. Because we know that feels horrible. I had a friend when I was going to Bible college, and he, uh, he was the son of a, a faculty member, his basketball player, we used to play basketball. And he would throw this out all the time. Only God can judge because he's hanging out with Bible college kids all the time. So he's like, you think you're better than me, but only God can judge me. You know, he was, had that, that piece going on. And I remember just thinking, I have no permission to speak anything into your life. Because anything I say... You just go, only God can judge me. It's like, we can't, not only can we not be friends, I can't even be honest with you. So now I don't know what to do with this whole relationship. I'll just default to talking trash because that's what I do when I play basketball because I'm not, I'm only this good, but I can talk like this good. So I have to do my strength. <laughs> I'll try to hurt your feelings while I'm losing. That's kind of how that goes. So that was my move with him. But I didn't know how to handle it. We get paralyzed. And the, real, the reality is, is the scripture telling us that we can't ever say anything? I mean, that would be logically absurd. It doesn't seem like that would be the case, but that's exactly what he meant in this moment. But here's the thing. If the do not of Jesus is don't ever judge, then we've got some problems. Where's my people who are, have been teachers at? How can you dare you grade a paper? How dare you evaluate a essay question? and judge someone's value on their answer. How dare you do that, right? Bam, you broke the rules, right? I mean, there's some fun ones. How about this? Does this shirt make me look fat? <laughs> right? Every husband's worst nightmare. There is no answer. There is none. You're beautiful. We love you. Can we leave? <laughs> right? Some of you have been like, how do I get out of jury duty? Right? I got to get out of jury duty. My Bible says I don't judge anybody. Right? Our entire civic system would fall apart if we really believed there was never an appropriate time at any point to do anything that judges someone. But some situations are even more complex than that. What if you see someone steal something at work? How are you supposed to respond? What's loving? What's judging? What's just? What's right? Don't judge me. What if you know someone, you've been hanging out and they've had a, you know, a little bit too much to drink and they're going to drive home? Everyone's like, well, better stop them, tackle them, throw away their keys, knock them down. Okay, you're going to judge them that way? What if they say, hey, I, I know what I'm doing, I'm okay? <laughs> yeah, so obviously, if the, if the uh, expectation is a, a blanket that we never judge, we, got, we box ourselves into some corners. I mean, it's taboo to talk to almost anyone about anything anymore that's personal. Try asking someone who you know sex life is out of control. Whew, don't judge me. Can't talk about that kind of stuff, right? What if they're doing something that's destructive to their bodies or to themselves or to, to what if it's destructive to someone else? All of a sudden, this tension, oh, don't judge me. Don't judge you. You're harming yourself. You're hurting others. You're risking things they shouldn't. Where does the line go? How do we process? Where's the truth? We all feel the pressure. We don't want to be called hypocrites. None of us like being judged, yet there seems to be clear, common sense moments in our lives where we've got to walk into this tension. So how do people who say they love Jesus navigate this tension when Jesus says, hey, don't judge. Lest you be judged. What does he mean? How does it work? Let's go with our Bibles, Matthew chapter seven, and let's try to unpack this a little bit. I'm in Matthew chapter seven. I'm gonna bounce around a little bit. I'll be in John, I think 12, a little bit later, but we're gonna start here in Matthew seven. How do we wield this weapon that is our mouth and our judgment, and when do we weigh in? And here's Jesus dropping to do not, and what does he mean? 
Now, it's important to recognize this is couched right smack uh, towards the back half of the most uh, important sermon ever preached, the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just talked about not worrying. Um, he's about to talk about taking his words and putting them into practices, like building your house on a rock versus the sand. And in the midst of this, he looks at this group who he's just said, don't worry. And now he says, verse one, chapter seven, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He says, there is a balance that if you walk into this judging area, be prepared because that's coming back to you. There's a scale here and you expose yourself to judgment when you judge. Verse three, he uses a metaphor here that's amazing, it's hilarious. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I'll stop right there. Certainly more than not, just don't judge in this passage. So what in the world is he talking about? Well, I love, let's go to the metaphor for just a second. I love the idea of a plank of wood in your own eye and a speck in your brother's eye because the logical absurdity of that picture is what, I'm like, is Jesus going for the laugh here? Because that's a laughable scenario. And then I was thinking he's also a carpenter, so that's funny because he's like a speck of dust. He probably dealt with that, right? <laughs> and so he could clearly relate to this picture. But then I started thinking a little bit deeper about this picture because here's the thing. I've had a speck in my eye before. Maybe you have. That's not comfortable. I'm certainly not happy when there's something stuck in my eye and I can't get it out, no matter how small the speck. As a matter of fact, when that situation is happening, I will genuinely run to someone for help if I can't deal with it. Some of you remember running to your mom. Oh, I got a thing in my eye, right? And what did she do? She'd go, no, she went, and just spit and slobber and, and flushed your eye with like spit and wind at the same time. I was the only one. Um, <laughs> you're like, no, my mom took me over to the sink. It was all gentle. And <laughs> my mom was Puerto Rican. She solved some problems. All right? <laughs> and she listens to the podcast. So love you, mom. <laughs> right? But there's the thing. When there's something in your eye, that's a problem. It's legitimate. It's, so, sometimes I think we see the comedy of this contrast and we forget that that person does have something in their eye and there's a need there. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, just because there is a legitimate issue in someone doesn't mean you go charging in to try to be the savior of that person's issue. He goes, because oftentimes when you do that, you neglect the fact that you've got something hanging out of your eye. Now, I love it because it's comical and it's silly and it looks ridiculous, right? But I want you to catch this picture because all I had kind of before was this idea of Jesus saying, don't be ridiculous. And if Jesus says, don't be ridiculous, I listen, right? I'm like, all right, I'll try not to be ridiculous. But I never really caught the picture of if I'm trying to get something out of your eye and I have this going on, I'm literally putting you at more risk than if I wasn't helping you. Does that make sense? I can literally do more damage in this scenario than I can possibly do good. It's not just that you look ridiculous. It's that you are physically a threat to the person that you hoped to help. Why? Because you haven't dealt with what's in your own eye. Now that picture is kind of funny, but now let's get more serious. Because Jesus is like a log. Some, some translations say the telephone pole in your eye. He's not messing around. He's like this Thing is clumsy and large and you're the only one who doesn't think it's a problem but you're happy to run in come on now and try to solve someone else's problem and you know the end result you clobber somebody he's like that is so clumsy and so careless and no matter what your intention is it's unkind and unloving if you charge in plank connected to face and try to help somebody, you're gonna hurt that person more than you ever help them. So Jesus is like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> Knock it off. 
You think you're doing him a favor. You think you're standing up for me. All you're doing is clobbering people. And that isn't my heart. It's not just ridiculous, it's dangerous. And I think once we get the picture out of our mind that this is just like a clown car situation and we recognize this is actually dangerous, it helps us understand the urgency of what Jesus is trying to say. This is dangerous, guys. I love um, the message magazine is, or magazine, the message uh, version of the Bible is just a, like a paraphrase. It's using uh, modern language to kind of tell the story. So the way that the message tells this story, I want you to hear this because it's just hilarious. <clears throat> I think it's hilarious. Uh, Matthew chapter seven from the message version of the Bible. And, and he, he says it this way. So don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't criticize their faults. Unless of course you want the same treatment. That critical spirit, listen to this, has a way of boomeranging. I love that picture. It's like I threw it out there. And I was like, yeah, I did something. Yeah, got him. Nailed him right in the judgment. And then whack, we get nailed with the thing that we put out there in the first place. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy, listen to this language, to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Woo! Jesus with the way downtown, bang. The Greek word for judge there, I love that word. It's, uh, it's krino. And it basically says, by implication, to try, to condemn, or to punish. And Jesus says, if you're leading with trying to measure someone, condemn them, or punish them, you've totally missed my heart. You've totally missed my heart. And you better be ready to experience that same kind of treatment because if you put it out there, that's what's coming back. So here's the thing that drives me crazy. That boomerang effect has a way of catching up with us. And you've experienced the boomerang effect before. You've experienced the idea of, you know, from your perspective, what you saw, you're like, oh, can't believe that person. And then suddenly you're in a situation and you're like, oh, here's my great example. Um, When I was uh, just newly in youth ministry, I was in Spokane and we had a guy on staff who did the college ministry. Now he was single and I was married. And because I was married, I had a different set of just like life responsibilities. He was single doing young adults, which meant he just went out every night, which also meant that every morning when we were waiting for him, he wasn't there. And that was kind of just his life, the season he was in. And we were calling it ministry, but it was working. He was reaching unchurched people. We were like, oh, that's cool. It's working. But you couldn't count on him. And it was frustrating. And so a thing happened to him. He got kidney stones. Now, I got to be honest with you. I looked at that and I was like, first of all, I don't even know if I believe that someone this young can get kidney stones. I never heard of that before. And I just thought, he's always already late and missing things. Here's just another thing that he's late and missing whatever. Well, flash forward to about a month ago, and guess who got his first ever kidney stone? (laughs) Yeah. And I was paralyzed. Like, I couldn't get up off the floor. I was in so much pain. And And I remember, like it was yesterday, looking at this guy just being like, oh, seriously, can't you just keep any of your commitments or responsibilities or whatever? And I was like, I can't get to church and preach. It's the first time I've ever missed. I was like, I can't keep like, the primary responsibility of my you know, profession because I can't get off the floor right now. So I had to call him. <laughs> it's been a long time. I called him up and I was like, bro. And he was like, bro. I was like, so remember that whole season? He's like, yeah. I was like, dude, I am so sorry that I thought you were just being you. <laughs> we're bros. We can talk like that. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, whatever. I was like, it was hell. He goes, ah, no, it is hell. And I was like, yeah, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. He's like, I know. And we were bro. We broed it out. It was fine. <laughs> but I want to help you avoid apologizing. Jesus wants to help you avoid apologizing. He's like, you will avoid a lot of walking into your own mess and having to try to clean it up and apologizing if you are just careful and don't start flinging it out there every time. Come on now. Every time you see something that looks like a weakness, can, can we get real close and personal? You've had, you've had that moment where you've looked at, let me talk to moms for a second. 
you've looked at that new mom or that one mom, and you've just been like, can she just get her stuff together? Can she just control her kids? Can she just, what, whatever the thing is, come on now, you had that intro. Like, I got my stuff together. Can you just get your stuff together? And then you had that moment, right? And then you're in the moment when your kids are melting down, right? And you just can't do anything. And you're at the store and you're like, I don't care. I'm just going to drag them by their hair through when we got to get to the car. And you're having that moment, right? And, and, and then it just surfaces. You're like, oh, that's right. I wasn't in that person's circumstance, their shoes, that moment. It just boomerangs back around. There's an incredible truth in here. I don't know, it's not even where I'm going, but there's an incredible truth in here of just this reality of most of the time when we're feeling judgmental, most of the time when we're unleashing that, it's usually we feel fired up and passionate about it because it's something that strikes close to home. It's something that strikes close to an area that might be a weakness for us or a perceived potential weakness or it might, it just strikes. And so we go, and we get out there. And that's why Jesus paints the picture. He says, most of the time you feel the need to rush in and try to point that thing out is because somewhere in your core, there's an unresolved thing in your heart that's squeezed on by seeing their attention. And you think somehow fixing them is fixing you and it's not the same thing. So he says, first, you got to get your heart into a healthy place. He doesn't say don't ever judge. He says, but before you take action, where's your heart? Is your heart in a healthy place? Because if your heart isn't in a healthy place, you're going to do more damage than good. And then after that, he goes, hey, don't be a hypocrite. Don't wade in. You think your heart's in a healthy place, but you wade in and you have an expectation on someone else and there's something in you that you haven't dealt with. Those are tensions that he brings to that. <laughs> Remember my, uh, my buddy who didn't, who didn't like the friend song? <laughs> What's funny, like ironic about all that, is, and we're all new. I mean, the church has just started, right? He's on the worship team. He was on that Sunday, which means three weeks out, he got the, the chords. That means he went to practice and rehearsed it. He showed up on the stage and played it. And then he got upset. <laughs> And came after me afterwards. And I was like, just the tension of that. I'm like, I don't understand. If you, you could have talked to me from a place that was healthy, but you waited, come on now, until it was unhealthy and then it went into attack mode. What is that? It's just a hypocritical spirit, hypocritical heart. That boomerang language is important. It comes back to us. Look at times Jesus said, I don't even judge. This is Jesus' words. I'm in John chapter 12. Jesus says something amazing here. He goes, hey, as for the person who hears my words, but he doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. I do not judge that person. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. This is Jesus. He's perfect. He's got every reason, every time, and every scenario to say, hey, there's the thing you're doing wrong, and here's the way I'm doing it right. He says, but I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. He goes, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and doesn't accept my words. And for that very which, uh, word which I spoke, that's what's going to condemn him on the last day. For I didn't speak of my own accord, but the father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. What is he talking about? He's saying, listen. I'm not going person to person looking for every opportunity to squeeze them with some judgment. I'm not interested in that. That's not my mission. That's not what I'm here for. But I am calibrated to the heart of the Father. And so if I do have to weigh in, it will always be something that I've run past my dad and recognize it's now important to engage. What's the tension here? Most of the time... We see things that we feel like we need to weigh in. Our first reaction should be nothing, nothing until we consult dad. Say, God, is this something? Can you imagine the amount of trouble we'd avoid if we just take a moment in our passion and paused it and said, God, does this reflect your heart in this moment or is this me? Does this reflect your heart and what you want to say or is this me? So, honest moment. This past week, Facebook, <sighs> kryptonite, right? Here comes this post, and I go, ah, this is like the perfect, like it's on a T for me. I have a perfect response for this, right? And so I began to compose, not a long, drawn-out thing, but just a little bit of funny, a little bit of irony, a little shot, and then sprinkle some Jesus over the top. 
beautiful. Beautiful, right? So I step back and I review my work because, you know, you got to avoid the grammar police before you post anything because they'll just go right after your grammar. It's like, you know, that's not my strength. I talk, right? <laughs> so I'm reviewing it and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. And then I stopped and I was like, wait a second. Is this the thing? Is this the thing you want to wade in on? Is this the thing you want to battle it out for? Is this, the, is this the line in the sand? Is this the point that you want to engage? I had to physically move back from my keyboard to where I was out of range and process for just a moment and go, okay, should I do this? And I was just like, God, is this really your heart? He's like, well, it's yours. Like, Dang it. <laughs> Click, close Facebook, move on, right? Why? Because I just want to make sure I run what comes out of me past the Father. If it's going to come out in a way that's judgmental about someone else's take on life, politics, history, whatever it is, faith, I just want to make sure I represent the Father. You know, we have a massive deficit in the world right now of people who just want to run things and care about what the Father thinks about it. We are so quick to run out in judgment on everything. And that judgmental spirit creates walls and you have no access to somebody's heart. You can't do anything good in their life. Even the conversation, I'm not even just talking about cyber world, I'm talking about like personal world because you've already made a decision in there. God's like, man, can you just come back for a second and remember that's not your assignment? It wasn't even Jesus's assignment. But when you run it past the Father's heart and now it's been confirmed it is healthy from a place of health to speak the truth in love. You can do that. Here's the kind of the ultimate example of Jesus doing this. I'm going to play it actually in a video because I need my voice to recover. But this is from John chapter 8. And this is a story you know well. Jesus is confronted with a scenario where someone has messed up. And she deserves punishment. And look at how he responds to her. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. And when you find this treasure, this woman caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say, teacher? I was told you preach according to the law of Moses. Do you have an answer, Nazarene? Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to cast their stone. There's no man here who condemns you? No one, my lord. Neither do I. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. I love this <clears throat> story and this picture. 
Um, I feel a little judgy because that's the whitest Jesus I ever saw. But <clears throat> sorry, just had to say it. <laughs> that judgment came out of me. But, uh, <laughs> but I love the picture and the heart that's displayed there. Is come on. He isn't in the business of judging. That's not what he came to do. He came to redeem. I love, uh, as you look through the, that passage, I'm going to just read the second half of that, starting in verse 10, where it says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, that neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He doesn't say go now and go back to the things that were destroying your life. He doesn't permission give her to go into things that are harmful for her. He says, hey, I'm not here to be in the condemn you business. I'm here to be in the restore you business. I want life for you. I want life for you. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Remember, the command was always to come and follow him. It wasn't to have it all figured out. He says, I'm the light. I'm the thing you calibrate yourself to. This is how you know what good is and what good isn't. You follow me. Whoever follows me, you're not gonna walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. <laughs> then the Pharisees challenge him. They're like, here you are. You're appearing as your own witness. Therefore, your testimony is not valid. And then here Jesus again, what we read earlier, the same principle. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. Look at this. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. What is he saying? Saying, I run things past the heart of the Father. And I don't just run around looking for opportunities to judge somebody. That's how I do it. <laughs> I think it's crazy. I had to uh, read this over and over again for it to sink in for me. I've got to get right with God first before I weigh in. I've got to. You've got to. I've got to run it past God first. I've got to make sure I'm hearing his voice. I've got to make sure I'm inviting him into the equation. The reality is I probably would not judge as often. I probably would not gossip as often. I probably would not talk about things and people that don't matter as often. If I just took a little time, slowed down before I hit sent so proud with myself, before I released it out so proud of myself, before I sent that text message so proud of myself, before I did all those things, if I just slowed down and said, does this line up with the heart of my father? Does it? <laughs> Here's the thing I want you to catch. Let's clarify. Number one, we are not in the condemnation business. We are not. We're the Jesus people. And he says, I'm not in the condemnation business. So if he's not in the condemnation business, we don't get to be in the condemnation business. That is not our job. If you find yourself in the condemnation business, you have missed. You have missed. You have swung hard and you have missed. We don't have the capacity to know what's in a heart. We don't have all the data. No matter how much you think you know about someone, you don't know all their stuff. That's why I love the, the glasses video and I, make, I have to watch it all the time. I have to remember I'm just only seeing my perspective. I'm just only seeing what my eyes can see. Yeah, you're just late because you're late. Kenny Stones, that's a convenient extra reason to be late. Right? I only see my perspective. That's all I got. We think this is some new concept that Jesus brought in, but it's been true all throughout the scriptures. Think about when David gets selected and Samuel's there and he's looking at all these buff brothers and uh, they're like, Who, who's the one that's supposed to be the next king? And, and, uh, and Samuel says this, this is what the Lord says to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, don't consider his appearance, his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things a man looks at. A man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What's he saying? He's saying, you've got to get calibrated to my eyes, my heart, what I see, because I'm measuring hearts, and you're not supposed to be in the condemnation business. There is a judge. Jesus is clear, and we're all going to face that moment. But that's not our job. That's his job. Stop doing his job. We're not in the condemnation business. What we are in is the redemption business. We're in the redemption business. 
We're in the believe, come on now, that every single person that God breathed that breath of life into has value and has an opportunity in them to know God and be restored. You know why we're in that business? Because we experienced that. We can speak to that part because we know what was and is in us and how God moved through those things to bring life. So we get to be in the redemption business. That's the business Jesus was in. If you look up, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4.29. He says, don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. He's like, be careful what comes out of your mouth. The point of that conversation should be to build up, edify, and benefit. And if it doesn't, then you have missed it. Now, some of you are like, how do I ever do this? Well, there is some clear exception, so let me clarify a little bit for you here. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. I've jumped you all around a little bit, but he says it this way. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those who are outside the church? He makes some distinctions here. He says, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, there is a place where we do speak some truth in love and we hold some lines and those people are the people who are inside of the family. And you're like, what does this mean? Let me give you an example. I, as the father in my family, am the enforcer, come on now, of all of the rules that my wife makes. <laughs> right? That's my role. Husbands, you know, right? You got your role. But here's the thing. So we got rules in our family. We got rules about how late the kids can stay up. Come on now. What they can and can't watch. What they can and can't say. How we have dinner. What we do at bed. How we do. We have a structure and we have rules in our house. And those are our family rules. And I'm responsible for those rules because I know the rules. And I make sure everyone else knows the rules and we follow those rules and I'm responsible. And when someone steps out of line, I correct lovingly those rules. Here's what you don't get to do. If you knock on my door at 8.30 and my kids are awake, because they will be, you don't get to walk in and say, hey, children need to be in bed at 8 o'clock. Go to bed. Right? Because after I pull my wife back, you're going to have to deal with me. Right? Why? Because that's my family. That's not your family. And if I go into your house and you're watching a show and I go, hey, kids aren't allowed to watch this show, you're going to look at me and be like, dude, you don't make the rules here. This ain't your family. This is my family. Paul is communicating this principle in the kingdom that Jesus is uh, amening through, throughout this whole thing is we are responsible, come on now, within the family to hold the family values that dad has given to us. And so we do speak the truth inside of the family. But Paul's saying, hey, when someone's outside of the family, you don't go running after them trying to impose your family rules. Makes sense now, right? Because when you do that, you look like the jerk you just thought I was when I said, I'm gonna come in your house and tell your kids I can't watch whatever show they're watching. That's not your role. You don't have that authority. You're not in the family. But if you are in the family, then I'm saying, hey, dad, dad gave us some rules. I'm gonna help you out. So how do we do that? Well, Galatians, Paul says how to do it. Because we're in the redemption business. He says, here it is. Galatians chapter six, verse one. It says, hey, brothers. See, family members. It doesn't say everyone. It says, hey, family members. If someone is caught in a sin, what does that mean? If they've whiffed, if they've made a mistake, if it's clear there's somehow that they violated the heart and the will of God, you who are spiritual should restore him firmly. That doesn't sound right, does it? Sorry, we got a typo up there. Oh, you who are spiritual, you should restore him harshly. Knock it off. No, that's not it either. Oh, sternly. Right? No. Oh, you are spiritual. Choke them out. That's your role in the kingdom, right? You look around for the people who have made a mistake and got caught in sin and said, let me just apply, go to sleep, go to sleep, right? No. What does it say? It says, brothers, if someone who's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. Why would, why would they use that language? Why? Because the heart for restoration 
it's rooted in kindness and wanting the best for the other person. And it's not gonna be received. Come on now. This is your family. And when your family's grieving and your family's hurting, you don't come in with the hammer. You come in gently and you say, oh, I want what's best for you. I want life for you. And then I love this. He goes, but watch yourself because you might be tempted. Tempted what? To fall into what they fell in, maybe. Maybe to fall into this, right? He's like, if you're gonna go in and you're gonna bring the correction, watch yourself because it's gonna feel really good to try to take that high ground and start beating them to death with the plank in your eye. Don't go there. Don't go there. So carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. As a follower of Jesus, we're the people who tell the truth. We're the people who check our hearts first before we weigh in. We're the people who don't do it hypocritically. We're the people who believe in the internal value of somebody else. And so that filters everything. And we're the people who keep our judgments to the family. That's what we do. Seems pretty obvious and clear when you break it out, but it is so hard. We can't get superficial. We can't get hypocritical. And we can't hold people outside the family to the family rules. It doesn't make sense. But we can speak the truth in love because we're truth tellers. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to bring up the team and we're going to pass communion out here. And I'm going to ask you to just take the cup and the juice and hold on to it. I'm going to read through this part here. And then we're going to worship. And as we worship, we're going to do what the scripture asks us to do in terms of uh, measuring and judging our heart. We're going to be honest with God. And then we're going to leave here recalibrated so we don't do this thing once we get out of here. So that actual change happens so we can start making a difference in the kingdom. So these guys are going to come and, and, uh, and they can just actually just begin passing it out. I'm, it, and they're going to give that to you because it's heart searching time for us. It's honest heart searching moment time for us. So let me ask you some questions as this goes out. If you're just being honest, where are some areas you've been too judgmental? Come on now. I'm pro at this and I deal with this. So I expect that you're dealing with this. So let's be honest. Where are some areas you've been too judgmental? You've led into the judgments before you've checked your own heart. You've been a little too excited to be corrective. Where are some areas you've been too judgmental? Where are the planks that are in your own eye? What are the things, come on now, you've boomeranged it out there, but really there's some hole in you. I can't believe anybody would cheat, but you're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at. I can't believe anybody would be irresponsible with their money, but you're being irresponsible with your money. Some of that, you can't believe it. Whatever it is, where are the planks that you got to deal with? Maybe this is you. Maybe you've been so like shell-shocked from judging that you haven't waded into the truth at all. You've just withheld the truth. You've diminished the family and the kingdom of God by removing what he's done in you from the equation. And you are just needing to hear, hey, you have permission when you have the heart of God to weigh in because you're valuable in the kingdom. And you've been just like, ah, you've just shrunk yourself up too much. And, and we're the truth tellers. We do it gently. Gently is probably not gonna be a problem for you. Problem is doing it. And you've got to step out and tell the truth. We got to be in the Jesus business, not the judgment business, the telling the truth business. Paul says about communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that he received it from the Lord and he passed it on to us, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus declared, this is a thing you do when you're recalibrating yourself to remember what I've done. So look at what Paul says about it. We don't always read this part. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty against sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, if you aren't serious about what's happening in this moment, being a connection to what God's done, you're actually creating distance between you and Jesus instead of proximity, which is what communion is 
supposed to do. So he says, how do you solve that? Verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats the drinks without recognizing what he's doing, the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on themselves. This is why many of you have weak, gone weak, fallen asleep. He says, verse 31, but if we judged ourselves, then we wouldn't come under judgment. What's he saying? He's saying, do some self-reflection about your heart condition as you recalibrate yourself. And that's what communion's supposed to do. So I'd like to invite you to stand. And here's what we're gonna do. The band's gonna play just kind of the chorus uh, uh, and pre-chorus of this song. And we're gonna worship a little bit. And I want to invite you for just a few moments to do some self-examination. Where has my heart been bad in this area of judging? Where have I gotten, come on, too frustrated? Where do I need to go ask for forgiveness? Where have I been hypocritical? Where have I not had the courage of my convictions to step up into that? And just be honest with that moment, invite Jesus into that equation. And then once you've recalibrated, I wanna invite you to just drink the, the juice and take the bread and worship with us. And then I'll close us here in a moment. Go ahead and do that. I love Jesus's reply to the woman that's caught because it's the physical example. It's not the theory. And he says, all right, I'm not here to condemn you. I believe that you can be restored. So go from this place and don't do that anymore. Some of you are like, Pastor Mike, this whole message feels pretty judgy. Well, we're in the family, so we get to deal with stuff. <laughs> but I'm not here to condemn you. I want you to go be restored. Don't do this thing that Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus was like, hey, knock it off. So lovingly, knock it off. Let's go from this place. Can you imagine just a minute with me? I mean, let's just be honest. There is an epidemic of a judgmental spirit just in our nation. And it doesn't matter what topic. You can go from just political to relational to whatever. And just whatever it is, it's like we're leading with this just mm, mental spirit. And can you imagine if it just started with Jesus, people? Come on now. And we just started with the attitude of saying, we're going to run things by the heart of our Father. We're not going to judge people who aren't inside the family. And we're going to believe that the core of you is redeemable, no matter what crazy opinion I think you have about whatever thing. And we're going to treat you like that first. Can you imagine that kind of love on display? if that started eking out of the Jesus people all over the place, here's the thing I know. That's the kind of love that literally overthrew one of the most wicked regimes in history, the Roman culture, and changed the whole culture because they didn't know how to process once everyone started valuing each other and loving each other and demonstrating self-sacrificing love and started putting other people above themselves and started treating, come on now, that prodigal like they were redeemable, come on. They started treating people like that and it just, it just was so counterculture, it transformed and changed everything. We're here today because a group of people, smaller than this group of people, believe that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would just do in our neighborhoods around here? Can you imagine what that would do just in the, in the local vicinity of South Hill or Puyallup? If all of a sudden people were like, yeah, that's those weird people down there. Not only do they have crazy traffic on Meridian, they treat you nice. No one flips you off. It's crazy. <laughs> wow. What if that's who we were? So let's just believe in his word and go do it and see if that doesn't change some things. So I believe that for you. I want that for you. I'm praying for you. Have an incredible week in the Lord.